Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verse 25. After just a bit over two years and around 100 messages, we have come to our final passage in the book of Romans this morning. If you think I have taken a long time, I have finished 11 years more quickly than Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who took 13 years to go through Romans. And he only made it to chapter 14 before he died. So I am lapping him and have lapped him several times. We're ending this morning with praise. That's what Paul does. He ends the letter with praise, or we might call it a doxology. Ending with praise is appropriate. It's appropriate for this wonderful book on the gospel, the good news of God's salvation through Jesus. It's appropriate for us to end with praise considering that our end purpose in life is praising God's glory. Ending with praise is appropriate considering everything will end in praise of God's glory. It's appropriate for us to end in praise since we will end up spending eternity praising God. So we, like Paul, are ending in praise today. And let's read this passage that wraps it all up, beginning in verse 25. Follow along with me there as I begin to read. It says, Now to him who has power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all nations, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. When I speak of Paul and us ending with praise, I mean two things. First, I mean praise for God's gospel. Praise for God's gospel. That's what Paul talks about in verses 25 and 26 here. And it should be understandable to us that Paul would end with praise for the gospel, considering that the gospel is the subject of the book, right? The great message of justification by faith. How we're made right with God through faith in Christ. From the beginning of the letter all the way to the end. This is the subject and we can see him ending with it here for a reminder. And I know you don't need to be reminded since you remember everything that I preached on two years ago. But for a reminder, turn back to Romans chapter 1. Verse 1, and look at how it began with the gospel. Paul wrote there, 
Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. Singled out for the gospel. And then in chapter 16, or verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, he wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. For in it, the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I mentioned that Paul talks about the gospel of God in these closing verses, verses 25 and 26. And we find here five facts about the gospel. Facts that we've already seen, but he's wrapping it up again. Facts about the gospel that I want to point out to you before we move on. Fact number one about the gospel is that the gospel is God's power that keeps us standing. The gospel is God's power that keeps us standing. I take this from the first part of verse 25. Look there again. He says, Now to him who has power to strengthen you according to my gospel. The power through which God strengthens us is the gospel. And that word strengthen could be translated, and maybe in some of your Bibles is translated, establishes. He has power to establish us through the gospel. It's a word that means to stand up. God, through the gospel... Gives us power to stand up. It it was a word in their language that indicated to prop something up so that it wouldn't fall over. Spiritually speaking, we're unstable. And very capable. And left to ourself, probably will fall and will stumble. But it's through the gospel that God keeps us standing. Now, I think all of us would get it that the gospel is what makes us stand in the first place. You remember the miracles of Jesus where He would heal the lame? In particular, those who could not walk, those who had been paralyzed, those who couldn't move. Jesus was doing more when He restored to them their mobility or their ability to walk than simply helping them physically. And he was doing that, but he was demonstrating a spiritual truth that the gospel takes those who are crippled spiritually and enables them to move and to stand. And I think, again, that most of us would get that it's through the gospel that we're made to stand in the first place. But the point that Paul is making here is that the gospel is also what keeps us standing. He's writing here to believers. He's writing to people who have already been given their spiritual legs or ability to walk, so to speak. 
He's saying that what keeps us propped up as believers is the gospel. The gospel not only saves us then, it keeps saving us. Or another way of putting it would be, it keeps us saved. The gospel is what sanctifies the believer. The gospel is what God uses to preserve the believer. In Ephesians chapter 6, maybe you're familiar with that passage. It's about spiritual armor and us wearing or putting on or being conscious of our spiritual armor. In chapter 6, verse 15, it makes this point that Paul is making here when he wrote there, And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. As Paul wrote about spiritual armor in Ephesians 6, very near to him would have been a Roman soldier. And so all of the parts of the equipment and the armor that he wrote about, he could physically see. And he was very much aware of. And one of the things that made the Roman army so successful in warfare is that they wore special shoes with cleats on the bottom. Before cleats ever were, they had cleats. And most combat then was hand-to-hand. I mean, real up close and personal. And the one thing that would make a soldier lose his life more quickly than any other way was for them to be unstable, to fall, to slip. And these cleats, if you will, though they wouldn't have called them that, enabled them to stand. And he says that what enables us as believers to stand is the cleat of the gospel. The knowledge that through Christ we are at peace with God. That's again the point that Paul is making here. And that's why Paul going back to chapter 1 said that he was eager to preach the gospel even to the church at Rome. I've told you this before, so this is nothing new. But we all need to be reminded that the gospel is not simply for unbelievers. The gospel is for believers. And the primary focus of those who already to believe or already believe is to be the good news of Jesus. It's what keeps us standing. Fact number two about the gospel that I I want us to see is that the gospel is the proclamation of Jesus. Look again to verse 25. It says, Now to him who has power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the content of of the gospel. I think I told you before as we were making our way through Romans that Jesus is the one who teaches the gospel or who taught it, but he's also the subject. So he's the teacher and he's the subject matter. The point he's making here is that Jesus is the content of the gospel. The gospel is the good news about him. That's what the word gospel means. Good news. And it is good news. And listen, it'd be okay for us to smile when we hear it talked about. Or to say amen 
or to be excited. Y'all a little bit lethargic this morning. I don't know of anything that should have kept you up late last night. The gospel is this good news about Jesus. About who he is. It's good news that he's Lord. Aren't you glad that Jesus is Lord as opposed to someone else? We live in a world full of bad lords, bad rulers. Always been that way. Aren't you glad that Jesus is Savior? We need a Savior. It's the good news about what Jesus has done. That He's lived this life of perfection, of sinlessness. That lived up to the demands of a sinless, perfect God as revealed in His law, a reflection of His character. Considering that we can't live up to those demands and that no one has or will Aren't you glad that Jesus has satisfied God's demands? The demands of the law? It's the good news about His death. About His dying on the cross as a substitute for others. It wasn't for His own sin, but for the sins of others. That He's died taking the punishment for sinners like us. It's the good news about His resurrection. About how He did not stay dead because death couldn't hold Him. That He rose from the grave and He conquered death and forevermore conquered Satan and everything associated with Him. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's the good news about salvation through Him. Salvation meaning how we who are sinful can be forgiven of of all our sins. Even the sins that we've yet to commit. It's the good news about salvation. Salvation meaning how we can be made right with God. And going back to what we've seen throughout Romans, we are in an awful predicament in our sinful state Of not being right with God. And He's the one who's made us. And something within us should be burdened by the fact that we're not right with God. But through Jesus, we can be made right. And have His righteousness to count for us. The gospel is the good news about Salvation, salvation meaning eternal life through Jesus. Not simply that our spirits will go on living forever, for all spirits will do that, but that we will have forever the very life of God. It's not just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life that it's speaking of. The gospel is good news about salvation through Jesus. Through faith. In Jesus. That all of this can be ours. As we trust on who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done. For this salvation. Earlier in our study of the book of Romans. We've talked about probably numerous times. 
what the gospel is. And one particular time I can remember taking a, a large chunk of time and talking about what the gospel is not. Here as he concludes the book is another reminder of what the gospel is. And don't get confused in a world that sends out mixed messages about what the gospel is. The gospel is the proclamation of Jesus. Fact number three, the gospel is the revelation of a mystery. Look at verse 25. Now to him who has power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed. The gospel is the revelation of a mystery. The word mystery here meaning something that has been veiled. Something undisclosed. Something that's been kept a secret or hidden. And it's talking about the gospel. And for so long in the history of the world, the specifics of the gospel that we find in the New Testament were a mystery. Also, not just the specifics of the gospel were a mystery, but the results that the gospel would produce were a mystery as well. That's why when you get in the New Testament and you see the word mystery, typically it refers to the church, what the gospel would produce. And the gospel would produce a people of God that weren't simply Jewish, but made up of Gentiles as well. In the Old Testament, the idea that Jesus would come two times, or that the Messiah would come two times, was a mystery. But that mystery has now been revealed, and in between His first coming and His second coming is an age that was, again, a mystery to the people under the Old Covenant. The age of a church made up of all believers from all sorts of people. And now this is revealed. And it's revealed through the gospel. And it makes me want to say, what a privileged people we are. To live in an age where the gospel has been revealed, the mystery has been unveiled. And even if it's silently, in your heart and your mind, I hope that it would make you join me in saying, praise the Lord for the revelation of this mystery. Fact number four, the gospel is the subject of Scripture. In verse 26 it says, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic Scriptures. That's certainly true of the New Testament, that the gospel is its subject. I don't know that I'd get a whole lot of argument about that. We can see clearly that the gospel is the subject of the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are called what? Gospels. The book of Acts is the record of the spread of the gospel. Romans is... Uh, 
an expositional letter on the gospel. The rest of the books of the New Testament are statements of the gospel or defenses of the gospel against false gospels that were no gospel at all. So I think that we can see clearly that the gospel is the subject of the New Testament. But because of what is revealed in the New Testament, we can now see clearly that the gospel is the subject of the Old Testament as well. Through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of the specifics of the gospel being revealed in Jesus, when you go back and read the Old Testament, as we're doing now as a church family and talking about it on Sunday nights, can't you see how it was all pointing to Jesus? Don't you see things that were foreshadowed that all of the stories were really stories about this Messiah that would come, that all of the rituals and the sacrifices and the laws and the prophecies, they all are pointing to Jesus and find their fulfillment in Him. The good news of Jesus is the subject of the Bible. All of Scripture makes the gospel known. And as I've told you before, and we've been trying to communicate to our children and young people in Bible school over the last few years through different stories, the gospel is not just a story in the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. Fact number five. The gospel is the message we are to spread to all nations. The gospel is the message we are to spread to all nations. Look at verse 26. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith among all nations. Now keep your finger there. Turn back again to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 5. Verses 5 and 6, actually. And I want us to see how Paul is doing what uh, all writers and speakers are taught to do. You tell people what you're going to tell them. Then you tell them. Then you tell them what you told them. Y'all ever heard that before? That's how you do it. It's always been that way. You tell people what you're going to tell them. You introduce it. You tell them. Then you tell them what you told them. That's a conclusion. Well, here Paul's in the conclusion. The middle party's telling them. And it goes all the way back. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Listen to the similar language that we've just read there in verse 26. We have received grace and apostleship through Him, through Jesus, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of His name, including yourselves who also belong to Jesus Christ by calling. Now I want you to notice that in both of those passages, the one that we're looking at today and the one that we just looked at, 
there is a command. Listen, not a suggestion, not an idea, a command from the eternal God for His people to spread this good news to all nations. I like the, the way that Paul words it in, in both of those passages, the one at the beginning and the one here at the conclusion today. He says to advance the obedience of faith among all the nations. That's a military term, right? A military phrase. To advance the obedience of faith. It presents the world as a battlefield and we are soldiers for the Lord. And going back to that picture of the armor that we wear as believers that we looked at earlier in Ephesians 6. You do know that the only offensive weapon that is mentioned for the believer is the gospel. The word of God. The sword of the Lord. It's the Bible. The the gospel message that's contained therein. The way that we combat and conquer our enemies is not through fleshly weapons. Uh, We don't beat them up. We don't want to conquer them physically. But the means through which believers win is spreading the gospel. And we eat up, we take up enemy territory in that way. And it's a pertinent reminder to believers in our own country who fear for the present of our country and fear for the future of our country. And maybe we bought into the lie that the primary means through which we change our country or keep it from changing is political. I'm an advocate of being involved in the political process. I'm thankful that we can. But have we not been taught the lesson that society can't be changed through politics? Society can't be changed. Hearts will never be changed through right legislation or even right legislators. God has given us a weapon far more powerful than that. It's the gospel. If we want to see society change, spread the gospel. If we want to see the world changed, spread The gospel. It's the same command that we see in the Great Commission. Make disciples of the whole world. In our mission statement, we say our mission is to make disciples here and everywhere. And we've already seen that this was the purpose of Paul. Do you remember back to chapter 15, about verse 20? He said, my aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I won't be building on another person's foundation. And then he talked about in the verses that followed that, hey, I'm headed to Jerusalem and then I'm coming to Rome. But where I'm really headed to is Spain because Spain hasn't been given the gospel. And I want to take the gospel there. His plan for fulfilling His purpose of reaching the Gentiles for Jesus was missions. His whole plan revolved around missions, the spread of the gospel to the world. And it must be the same for us. 
Our purpose, we saw it in Romans 15, is the same. It's to use the ability God has given us to reach the people God has given us for Jesus. Our plan for fulfilling it must be the same. A big part of that, missions. Spreading the gospel to the nations. And all nations are a part of the people that God has given us. Especially the Spains of the world. The unreached peoples and the unreached parts of the world. And we are to use the ability that God has given us to reach those people. And listen, a big part of the ability that he's given American Christians is financial. You still with me? I mean, a big part of the ability that he's given believers in America is financial ability. And when the opportunity comes for us to give to the spread of the gospel, we are to do it. We are to seize that opportunity. We're never to be satisfied with what we have done or what we have given or what we are given. We are to continue to give and give more and do so willingly and cheerfully and thankfully and expectantly that God is going to bless it and reach people through what we give. Next week, we have one of those wonderful opportunities to give to the spread of the gospel to all nations through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we will begin to take next week and throughout the rest of the month of of December. And I don't want you to think I'm mentioning this simply because I'm supposed to Because today is the Sunday to do a missions thing and get ready for next week. Everybody look at me. I don't just mention missions when it comes time to give to missions. I think I'm always mentioning missions. Uh, I could have used a message from two weeks ago as a missions message. I could have used a message from three or four weeks before that as a missions message. It's a constant theme of my preaching. And here's why. Because I just preach through the Bible, and it's a constant theme of the Bible. Our duty to take the gospel to the nations, and we get to be a part of it through giving. And I thank you for the way you have, and I trust that you will continue to do so, and God will bless us through that. I do want you to be reminded that our ability is more than just financial. We have lots of abilities, and we're to use all of it towards this end. Let's join Paul in ending with praise for God's gospel. Now, there's a second thing that I mean when I say that, and it'll move a lot more quickly, and you're very thankful for that. Second thing I mean when I speak of Paul and us ending with praise, it is praise of God's glory. Praise of God's glory. We talked about the glory of God recently. You know why? Because like missions, it's a repetitive subject 
from the Bible. In chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, he talked about the glory of God and, and glorifying God. The glory of God, as I told you then, is all the things about God that should make us be in awe of Him. His majesty and His splendor, His power and His prominence. To glorify Him is to recognize that, to recognize His glory. It's to reflect His glory in the way that we share. It's to talk about His glory and and lead others to glorifying Him in the same ways. It's to praise His glory. Verse 27, he talks about praising God's glory. And actually, verse 27 is a carryover from the first part of verse 25. Look back there. Now to Him... And then he starts talking about the gospel. He comes back to it in verse 27. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Well, from this, uh, we should take that we are to join Paul in praise of God's glory for his wisdom. He says here he's the only wise God. Or it could be translated and maybe should be translated who alone is wise. That's the message of Proverbs, isn't it? Wisdom is synonymous with God. And that for any of us to be wise, it begins with Him and fearing Him and having faith in Him. It reminds me of what Paul wrote at the end of chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, when he said, Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the understanding and the mind of God. Who's known the mind of God? To Him be the glory forever and ever. So we can see God's wisdom in His plan of salvation that Paul had been talking about in chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, which led him to write what I just spoke of. We can see God's wisdom in creation all around us. On a, on a beautiful day like today, don't you just see the wisdom of God? Paul talked about that in chapter 1. We can see the wisdom of God in the gospel that Paul's been talking about here in verses 25 and 26 and for that matter been talking about in the whole book. Think about it. Among all the religious messages in the world, is there any other religious message like the gospel? No, only God would come up with something like this. Only God. Every other religious message, if you boil it down, it's pretty much the same. Here's what you have to do to get to God. But the gospel is not a message of what we have to do to get to God. It's a message of what God has done to get to us. It's a message of not our getting to Him, but of Him coming to us in Christ. Praise the glory of God for His wisdom. And let's praise the glory of God through Jesus. As Paul did here, he says it's through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus here means our access to praising God's glory is Jesus. It's through Him. And for that matter, He's also the access that we have to pray to God, the access that we have to worship God, to know God. This is what the idea of the phrase that we use so often is, in Jesus' name, it speaks of our access to God. Praise Him. Praise His glory. 
do it through Jesus. We're also to join Paul in praise of God's glory, which is an eternal glory. Which is eternal. Look at verse 27 again. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory forever. Forever. Time without end. Eternal. And do you know that God will be glorified forever? It always has been about the glory of God. Glory belonged to God before time ever began. No time. God was glorious. And since time has began until time will end, glory belongs to God. And when time is over in eternity future, when time is no more, glory will belong to God. And He will be receiving glory or praise for His glory. As He always has in His courts. Who else can this be said about? That they are glorious. What else could this be said about that it's glorious? And that it is eternally glorious? I'll answer my question. Only God can this be said of. Only God. He is eternally glorious and glorified. Ending with praise for Paul and for us includes praise of God's glory. And we should also join with Paul in the word that he chose to end this book. Amen. Which means I agree Or let it be so. It's okay for even Baptists to say amen. It's biblical. And we say we're a people of the Bible, right? Praise God's glory. Praise God's gospel. That's what Paul does here in his conclusion of his letter to the Romans. And we're to join him in ending with praise. We will. Think about it. We will. All will. Everything, when you think about it, will be ending in praise. So it's an appropriate way for us to finish our study of Romans. Ending with praise. Now, as for ending this message, Christian, let it be a reminder to us about what it's all about. It's all about praising God. It's all about glorifying God through believing the gospel, through believing on Jesus, who's the subject of the gospel, and through spreading the gospel wherever we go and even to places that we can't go as we pray and as we give and from time to time as we go. For everyone else, Let this message be a reminder of the good news to you of what it is that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that He's lived a perfect life, that He's died on the cross for sinners, that He's risen from the grave. Let it be a reminder to you of the way of salvation. There's only one way, and that's through your counting on Jesus and Him alone to save you. So turn to Jesus if you have not. 
Turn from the way you're going to him and trust on him to save you, and he will. And then you can join Paul and all the rest of us in ending in praise.